there's a scenario we put in the report, which isn't, I don't think, out of the realms of possibility. And you're sort of worst case scenario in terms of sort of global climate change shocks, where we could have a situation over the next 50 years where Europe's population grows, but Africa's population shrinks. And that's not a scenario that anyone really spends a lot of time thinking about. And then you go to some of the country examples and you look at those places that could become much more attractive places to live. I mentioned Canada earlier. Now, it's plausible that in the course of our lifetime, the Canadian population doubles. Hello and welcome to Signals by AlphaSense, where we hear thoughtful insights from business leaders, investors and experts. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Signals by AlphaSense, and I'm your host, Nick Mazing. Today, we welcome back James Pomeroy, Global Economist at HSBC out of the UK. Loyal listeners will recall that we did an episode with James back in February where he covered a number of macro themes, and one of them was demographics. And today, we're going to take a deeper dive in demographics. Listeners can access James's research in AlphaSense but also James is a frequent guest on HSBC's Macro Briefs podcast, and we're going to have the links in the show notes. James, welcome back. And can you tell us a bit more about you and the macro team at HSBC? Fantastic. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me back. We had an enjoyable discussion last time, and hopefully this one's just as fun. So my job as a global economist at HSBC involves lots of different things. We have a team of economists based all over the world who look after our individual country forecasts. So they're real specialists in the region, usually where they're based or, or in the region where they're based. And they provide those forecasts. And my job as a global economist has sort of two hats. One is to take those views collate them all together into one sort of coherent global view of the world. The second part of it is to come up with the sort of overarching both global view, but also some of the thematic views about the longer term trends driving the global economy. So that can be on a whole load of different topics in terms of a digital economy, in terms of urbanization trends, or as we'll discuss today in terms of demographics, which is really at the heart of a lot of that thematic view that I think you have to, to be honest, spend much more time thinking about in the world today. So speaking of demographics, which is the focus today, you have a very interesting report that came out recently on May 24th. The title is Climate Change and Migration, a Potential Shock to Demographic Projections. And demographics is one of the biggest challenges that faces the world today. And you discuss some of the less obvious effects on the trends coming from climate change and migration. And before we dig into that, can you give us a quick walkthrough of the main terminology in the demographic space like TFR, total fertility rate, and so on? Yeah, of course. So when you think about demographics, there's loads of different things we need to consider. Firstly, you have population size, but it's not just the total population we care about. It's the working age population, it's the pensioner population, the child population, which is relatively straightforward when you think about what they are. But if you hear someone say the working age population, they typically mean 16 to 64 years old or growth rate in that population. So if you've got a growing working age population, that's seen as good in terms of having more workers, more taxpayers, more consumers, all of those things. If you have a growing elderly population, that can become problematic in some ways in terms of additional fiscal expense, so in terms of healthcare, or in terms of pensions. 
You also have essentially on top of that, you have dependency ratios, which is essentially the the ratio of one of those to the other. So the number of workers to the number of pensioners, for example, or the number of workers to non-workers, which includes children. And essentially, that's a measure of how demographics look in terms of your fiscal position. So you've got more workers relative to non-workers and so on. And those demographic projections are driven by three main things. They're driven by a birth rate. Now, you think about birth rates, you can either define that as a number of births per person in a given year or number of births per thousand people they're generally quoted as, or a fertility rate, which you mentioned in the question, which is essentially a, a number that's the average number of children that a woman would be expected to have, be, to have during their lifetime in a population at that time. And that number is in the West now worryingly low. But the, the, we look at these numbers relative to a replacement rate, which is 2.1. So if the average woman has 2.1 children, your population stays steady. And then on top of that birth rate, we also have to think about death rates, of course. That's a little bit less and less exciting to, to think about. We have to think where they're going. But also we have to think about a lot about migration and those migration projections, both in terms of the number of people, but also the age profile of people when they migrate. And those three things are really the building blocks of those demographic projections in terms of the shape and size of, of populations. And in your report, you bring up the concept of climate refugees and climate migrants, and that is people who are forced to migrate due to climate change. And what are some of the ways that this plays out? So there's many ways it can play out, but there's two really key fundamental reasons how this can happen. The first is which that there's the slow burn effect here, which is essentially the climate change over the course of an extended period of time makes certain areas, certain regions, certain countries largely uninhabitable. And that can be in terms of the ability to just sustain human life or the ability to provide certain types of industry. So certain areas may be unusable for farmland or they may be not appropriate to do construction work or whatever it needs to be may, may make areas slightly less attractive places to live, to work and to stay. And therefore, you could get people moving out of those areas. And that doesn't necessarily need to be across borders. It can just be away from those sorts of areas. A similar area that gets affected by this is is from higher sea levels. You know, essentially, over the course of time, as sea levels continue to rise, some coastal areas become uninhabitable, and therefore you may see some migration away from those areas too. So that's almost like your incidence disasters. When you think about some of these things, the greater prevalence of natural weather events, which are hugely, hugely damaging, be it in terms of tsunamis, be it in terms of earthquakes, be it in terms of hurricanes, you name it. All of these things are happening in some cases much more frequently because of climate change. And all of these shifts can basically drive people away from where they're living from those one-off events. If you get greater probability of those events happening, then that too can lead to huge surges in climate-induced migration. And how do you see the effects of these migration patterns in cold weather economies versus hot weather economies. You make a very good distinction in your paper. So this is where things get quite interesting. So if you think about migration historically, a lot of migration has taken place out of poorer economies and into higher income economies. That's traditionally how we think about migration. But in the course of the coming decades, this is not necessarily a story we're just thinking about in 2023. This is a longer term story. What you could well see is people moving from countries which are inhospitable due to climate change to some that are more hospitable due to climate change. So your potential 
winners, I guess, from a population perspective in terms of where will become more appealing for people to live are those countries today that may be seen as being too cold. So particularly in extremes of the world, so in the northern and southern hemispheres, there's certain economies that are ripe for people to be wanting to move to much more in the future than they do today. So the obvious example on a global scale is somewhere like Canada, where you've got a very, very large economy. Large parts of the economy today are largely uninhabited. And you have a, a sort of climate that may become more appealing, more temperate as the world warms. The same could be true in parts of Scandinavia, northern Europe, northern parts of Asia as well, but also in the southern hemisphere. The same could be true in, in some parts of, of the world, too. So those countries would naturally become slightly more attractive places to live because of climate change, lifting their temperatures up to being slightly more hospitable. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these economies that are both hotter and therefore harder to live in. And the most obvious candidates here are those countries around the equator or, or sub-Saharan Africa as well. So you could well see enormous amounts of climate refugees essentially from these economies who have to then go somewhere else, which is slightly more hospitable. So you could see a huge outflow of people from those economies to other parts of the world. Also, those economies that are much more susceptible to natural disasters. So this is generally places in Southeast Asia look a lot more vulnerable. Countries who are vulnerable to higher sea levels. Island nations is a good example of that as well. And so what you could then see is those economies seeing outflows of people. Now, the obvious sort of caveat to this is when we think about temperature and we think about migration, you can draw a nice sort of roughly neat scatter plot that shows sort of migration rates versus temperatures. But the countries we don't have that data for in a sort of a timely basis are the hottest economies in the world. So you have places like Saudi Arabia or some Middle Eastern states like the United Arab Emirates or Qatar, where you have very, very high migration levels, net inward migration, despite these being some of the hottest economies in the world. So just because economies are warm temperature wise doesn't mean that they won't see inward migration. But what we're saying in the report is that over the course of time, climate change is likely to make more and more economies inhospitable for one reason or another. And we could see outflows of people relative to those people looking more towards those countries today that well, will become more hospitable in the future. Mm -hmm. So bringing all of this together, how do you see the global demographic projections from the UN at the current level actually being affected by the factors that we just discussed? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that go on when you think about these demographic projections. And I'm sure many of our listeners here have, have looked at demographic projections in one way, shape or form. And as I said, it's worth taking into account the things that go into those projections. So you have sort of the, the beginning, you have a birth rate assumption, you have a death rate assumption, you have a migration assumption. And we've spoken a lot in recent years about why we have a lot of skepticism about the birth rate assumptions. We think birth rates will be much, much lower and that affects your global population. In particular, it affects some country populations, but that global population story, we think, will be one of much lower populations globally by the end of this century. But then within countries, you're going to get this impact that comes from migration flows. And if you look in the UN's assumptions, they basically assume that we've had this steady rise in migration for many years over the course of the last couple of decades that then just drops back to a much, much lower level going forwards. Now, this isn't having a go at the UN at all. They admit in, their, in, in the documentation around these forecasts that basically forecasting migration is close to impossible. And therefore, you have to take these numbers with a, a substantial pinch of salt. So what we did during the construction of this report is we put into 
into a model, a very simplistic demographic model, a lot of different migration scenarios. And you start looking at some smaller population economies that historically have taken in quite a lot of inward migrants. So great examples are the UK or Australia or somewhere like Canada is another one of these. And you say, well, what happens if instead of migration rates coming back down in the course of the next few years or the next few decades, what if they actually accelerated higher? Not just because of climate change and migration, because of this trend that's been placed today. But what happens if it then got much, much stronger because of those climate change shocks? And suddenly you start thinking, well, actually, what if? What if some of these demographic projections that we all take as granted in terms of shrinking populations in Europe or populations that are continuing to grow very, very quickly in sub-Saharan Africa? What if the opposite is true? Now, what if actually climate change means that we need to have more people globally for the sustainability of mankind living in areas that are more hospitable and Europe becomes much more densely populated than it is today? And there's a scenario we put in the report, which isn't, I don't think, out of the realms of possibility. And your sort of worst case scenario in terms of sort of global climate change shocks, where we could have a situation over the next 50 years where Europe's population grows, but Africa's population shrinks. And that's not a scenario that anyone really spends a lot of time thinking about. And then you go to some of the country examples and you look at those places that could become much more attractive places to live. I mentioned Canada earlier. Now, it's plausible that in the course of our lifetime, the Canadian population doubles. It's plausible that the, po- the population of places like the UK or Australia or Sweden, countries that historically have taken in a lot of migration, they see much, much more elevated population growth numbers than you would typically expect because the volume of migration coming in. You just have to remember how many people there are in this world, how many people live in these countries that are at risk, the greatest risk from these climate change shocks. And you think just a small percentage of those people landing up in some of these smaller population economies can have a dramatic impact on those populations there. Now, it's worth saying that's just part of the that's part of the, the problem, part of the challenge is where people are going to be. We, it's very, very hard to model that accurately. What we also need to do, though, is think seriously about some of the policy challenges this creates. It's all fair and well saying, okay, what if Canada's population was to double? Well, that's all fine and well, but the policies need to be in place to make the most of that population doubling. We need to make sure the housing is correctly provided. We need to make sure that people can be integrated into the workforce, integrated into society. These are going to be big, big existential challenges that governments and policymakers are going to have to tackle, I think, in the years to come. Because even if we don't go to these extreme scenarios like we've just been talking about, it seems quite likely that climate change is going to be much, much greater flows of migration globally. And when it does, it's going to be very, very important to make sure those people have been displaced are able to integrate well into the countries they are essentially forced to live in or the parts of the world they're forced to live in. And that's going to require that investment in that housing infrastructure, getting people in the jobs market, language training, and all of those things that are so important. And if we can do that, then actually maybe things look slightly more positive than they might initially do on the first look. And we could help to correct some of the demographic imbalances we've got, particularly in the developed world. James, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Today, we spoke with James Pomeroy, Global Economist at HSBC. We discussed the trends in global demographics and the factors that influence them, specifically climate change. If you like what James discussed, you can listen to him and the rest of the HSBC research team on the Macro Brief by HSBC Global Research podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts from. We'll have the links in the show notes. 
This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. My name is Nick Mazing, and you can find us on all the major platforms. Thank you for watching or listening. Thank you for joining us. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Keep in mind that all views presented here are the views of the guests and hosts and do not represent the views of their employers or of AlphaSense. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investing, tax, legal, or medical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review and subscribe for more.